This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. What's going on, everybody? Isaac here with Civil Engineering Academy. Excited to be with you on another fun podcast episode. I know I say that a lot, but they are fun. And hey, uh, go check us out on our website, civilengineeringacademy.com. If you need resources to help you ace your exams as you're preparing for those, uh, we have FE and PE courses and exams, all kinds of fun stuff. And on our YouTube channel, free videos as well. So definitely check out all those things. Um, today, I interview a wonderful person, Stephanie Slocum. She runs an amazing website called Engineers Rising, and she also wrote a book. Uh, you can find it on Amazon.com called She Engineers. She's a part of many different societies, and uh, she has she's a wealth of knowledge, as I talk about in the episode. Has uh, Does a lot of consulting work and really helps people grow into leadership positions, whether you're a man or a woman. Uh, and I really wanted to pick her brain on a lot of things uh, about current trends that are going on in the in- engineering industry, uh, women in the engineering workplace, and how they can better themselves, um, and on and on. So well, I just uh, we get into it. So I had a really fun conversation with her. I think you're going to enjoy it too. Go check out the resources that she has at her website, Engineers Rising, and definitely go check out her book if you are interested. So uh, prior to uh, the book that she wrote in 2018, she has been working in a structural engineering firm. She worked in that uh, arena for 15 plus years. She rose up to executive level positions. She's got her master's degree and bachelor's degree in architectural engineering and has always been involved in that structural engineering world. So she has uh, been involved in, in this world. She had to pass her FE and her PE. She details a little bit of that in her story today and uh, just had a really fun time talking about all of this stuff. So anyway, I know you're going to enjoy this interview with Stephanie. I know I enjoyed talking with her and uh, all this fun stuff is going to be coming up right after this. All right, Stephanie, welcome to the Civil Engineering Academy podcast. I'm excited that you joined up here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, this is going to be good. So um, before we dive into stuff, I'll obviously have probably read a, bi- bi- uh, a bio about yourself and done that. But um, what? How, how did you get into engineering? Why did you go that route? Let's start there. Great question. And I will, spoiler alert, I will begin with this, that if if your listeners are expecting to hear the story of someone who is like, I always knew I wanted to be an engineer, that is not at all my story. Um, I knew I wanted to be somewhere in science, technology, and math. Uh, I have two parents who are scientists, and so I had been exposed to that from a young age. Uh, But I took, Mm -hmm. I went to college, first semester, took my college calculus class, uh, chemistry class. I got C's in both of those. Uh, and the chemistry class was the worst because I'm like, this is hard and it's boring. It's so that put, <laughs> I went out of science there. Um, I tried computer engineering. I took, I did a semester of that. Uh, I found coding very dull in that, in that particular class. So that, that got the ax as well. And then one day 
Uh, I'm a big tennis person. Uh, I love to play nice. tennis. I've been playing it all the way through. And I met one of my friends who I knew was an engineer, uh, but I didn't know exactly what engineering he was after class to play tennis. And he had come directly from class and he brought with him this little building model. And so if you imagine mm -hmm. it was like balsa wood, little house, there were trees. I think there was like furniture inside and little people. And I look at this model and I'm like, okay, I know you're an engineer because we're studying in calculus and physics and all this together. What engineering major do you get to do that in? Uh, and that was when I was introduced to architectural engineering, uh, which if your listeners or you have never heard of this major. Uh, architectural engineering is all about the art and science of putting like building structures together. So everything from like energy uh, with buildings to structural design. So the bones of the buildings that hold them up, which is what I did. Uh, mm. And so my, that's was my path into engineering, kind of a both accidental maybe not accidental, because I knew I wanted to be in STEM, but it was very much a tale of trying something that didn't work. Okay, let's follow my curiosity and try something else and keep on doing that until I found the place where my interests really fit uh, the, the technical parts of the job. That's great. I, I, I love hearing that that story. So let's fast forward now. So you're working, I and I don't know which company you're working for, um, but take us through a little bit of your, your work history and why you ended up starting Engineers Rising. How did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So see, this is another story of I didn't start out my career saying, oh, I want to start my own company. Um, I think I always saw myself in a leadership position somewhere at some point. Um, but my career started... Uh, to be honest, I was happy to get a job. Anyone who has graduated during an economic recession can probably relate to this uh, when you have a situation where you have lots of interviews and then everyone's like, oh, well, no, we're not hiring right now. So I went through kind of the interview ringer uh, right around the time I graduated. I got a job uh, in a state, Texas, in my case, that I had never set foot in in my life, but seemed like a great job. Um, and I was on my way down there. And so from a from a technical building structures background in terms of my technical experience, this was a fabulous opportunity because I was able to design building structures with basically most of the team, most of the people you'd be collaborating with in house. Uh, so I got to sit next to people that I would end up sitting across the table from down the road. Uh, but it was a very kind of collaborative environment where I really got to learn from like soup to nuts how a building gets put together. Um, at, at some point, uh, and so my husband is also an engineer, we met in college, so we moved to Texas together. Uh, and we were at a point where we were kind of thinking about, at some point, we're going to start a family. Uh, mm -hmm. All our family was in a different part of the country in the Northeast. And so we started looking for jobs in the Northeast, um, which we had both both eventually landed jobs in the Northeast and kind of moved moved up back into this area. It was at that point I made a transition from kind of this big, uh, much larger corporate environment, because that office was the headquarters for a multinational firm, okay. into a smaller, what I would say is much more typical of civil engineering in terms of a small consulting firm environment. Um, and the office I went into, I think I was like the second engineer in that office. And wow. so I knew it was a great opportunity for me to grow and learn. 
uh, and, and be able to kind of have my fingers in, in all the different things. Um, I would say by that point, I knew that um, the large scale corporate environment wasn't for me. Um, I'm the type to, I'm more likely to ask or beg forgiveness than ask permission. Gotcha. Um, and so I got to learn a lot of stuff in, in that particular firm. Okay, so fast forward, uh, I had my kiddos in that firm. Um, I stayed there for, for a while. Um, but I, I got to this point in like mid-career that a lot of us get to where, okay, mm -hmm. I got my PE. I did a, you know, got some new skills after that. And I'm like, okay, what, what's next for me? Um, and one of the things that really fired me up was mentoring other engineers. Um, and so I mean, I've mentored men and women, uh, but obviously I'm a I'm a woman engineer. Uh, and so I, I had a special uh, place in my heart for helping other women engineers, because as, as I had gone through, not all the time, but a lot of the time, I was the only woman in the design team meeting. Right. Um, and that was true even when I was fortunate enough to have a female manager and be working for a woman. Um, it was still often that, okay, like I'm, I'm the only one. Uh, yep. And how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you be heard? All of those things. Um, and so that's what I was mentoring people on. Um, add to this. So one of the things I'd always wanted to do was write a book. Hmm. Um, and it's one of those, you know, we all have these kind of bucket list dreams. Uh, and I'm sure yours may not be writing a book. Yours may be something else. And I, but sure. I bet every single listener has one of these things like someday I'm going to do this. Well, my then second grader, my oldest daughter, uh, came home from school one day and she's like, you know, mom, we're doing this book writing project at school and I'm super excited about that. And I, I, we were just having what I thought was a casual conversation in the car on the way home. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, I've always wanted to write a book. And my second grader, in all her wisdom, uh, says, well, mom, you're always telling us that if you want to go do something to to get started and go do it. So what what are you waiting for? And so like, I got completely fooled by my second grader in this situation. I'm like, you're right. This is what I coach people to do. Uh, that's what uh, happens when you get kids. They always yep, throw and, those zingers. Yeah. But, but sometimes I think like we miss what's right in front of our face. Right. So um, I, I, I listened to, to that advice. And I started putting all the things I had been mentoring people on into a book, uh, which about a year later ended up getting published out into the world. Uh, I have a copy here. It's called She Engineers. Love um, it. And by the time, so the book started out as a complete bucket list item. I mean, I'm working full time. I'm in, we have the owner of the company I'm working in. I'm the next level below that. Um, so uh, to say I wasn't working a 40 hour a week job at that point, put it that way, okay. um, kind of a very client facing position and all of those things. Um, and so the, the book came out in January, 2018, and I pretty quickly got asked to, uh, travel, to speak to young professionals, to women's groups, uh, because basically the book is all about all the things that are not technical that you need to know to excel in your career in engineering. Uh, and it's specifically very relevant to anyone in that, uh, like the civil consulting environment. Right. Um, and so I was taking vacation days to travel to speak about the book. And I realized pretty quickly that, so this path was not sustainable for me. 
Um, I have three, three kids at the time. The youngest was two. And I also, the reason I became an engineer, one of the reasons I became an engineer was because I'm like, I want to make a difference in the world. Uh, and for me, the, the idea of building building structures um, and working on the types of projects I'd gotten to work on. So like university buildings, hospitals, uh, healthcare, schools, things that like help society. That's why I had, that's one of the reasons I had picked this particular field. And so I came to this crossroad where my kind of litmus test here was, okay, I, my, if my mission is to make a big difference in the industry, in the world, which one of these paths is going to allow me to make that big, the biggest difference I can make? Hmm. Um, is it going to be, you know, staying in kind of engineering consulting? Is it going to be seeing where this book thing goes and seeing if I can turn the book thing into programs and courses to help other people? Um, and when I asked myself that question, the answer was pretty clear. Hmm. Um, and so I didn't know anything about starting an online business because I knew I wanted to start it online. And then we laugh at this now post pandemic. Um, but at the time, I was like, I'm starting an online business because I know, particularly if I'm mentoring women, the women that need my help the most don't work for companies that are going to send them to any sort of women's events. Um, that, yeah. That's not not how it's going to work. And they're usually going to be the only one. So like online is, is the way we need to go. Um, and so that's a good I, point. I jumped into that business. I've learned a whole bunch being an entrepreneur. And again, like this was not something that I had this master plan to start, start a company for me, it was really seeing, okay, like what, what are my values? What are my strengths? What am I good at? And how, how can I take ownership and like craft the career path? that is best suited to my unique skills, gifts, and talents, knowing that I want to make this big difference in the world. That's um, so great. That's how I came to start Engineers Rising. And um, so how long have you been um, doing that? How far away have you been from the workplace then at this point? Yeah. Um, so I started Engineers Rising in 2018. So the book came out in January. I resigned from my engineering job in July. Um, I feel like I'm not far from the workplace because I see it You're in the workplace now, and I see it. I see it every day. Uh, but in terms of when was the last time I worked for someone else, that was in 2018. Gotcha. Okay, that's good to know. Well, uh, you brought up some good points there. Um, and I'm curious, what are some trends today that you see kind of in the corporate world uh, with women in engineering? You mentioned one of them kind of already, but I'm just curious what, what um, information you might have on that. Yeah. Uh, so first, I want to share just a, a quick stat on what's like not. Cheap. Yes. <laughs> um, so we have seen this huge influx and I'm going to like age myself here. No problem with that. That's fine. Uh, so I graduated <laughs> from college uh, right after 9-11. Um, so 2002. Um, and that was the recession that I came out into after college. Uh, but since that time, the even though we have dramatically increased the number of women coming into STEM programs, including engineering, in terms of picking that as their university college major, hmm. the retention rate of women in the industry. So once they graduate, once they start working, has either stayed stagnant or has actually gone down depending on which uh, industry you are. So like if you are in computer engineering, 
it's counterintuitive. Computer engineering retention has actually gone down. Um, and so one of the you know trends we're seeing, and I'm just going to talk about like in the last year, I'm not going to take everybody through the history of the trends, <laughs> um, but we have definitely seen kind of as a society, we've seen people realigning how their work interfaces with their life. And so women, like everyone else, I think we're seeing right now a lot more of people voting with their feet. So mm -hmm. if they are working in an organization that doesn't align with their values and they were like, OK, I'm going to like hang out here to see what happens with the pandemic. Um, last summer, we started seeing the mass exodus and the mass exodus yes. is continuing. Uh, and so I think, you know, both uh, it's a it's a uh, job seekers market out there, I will say right now for that. Um, but I would also say from like the organizational side that organizations really need to focus on making sure their employees and not just women, but that their employees, one, feel supported in what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And two, that there is a growth path that is articulated to all the staff people, um, because those two things tend to be the reasons that that I see people for uh, why they want a new job. They're working in an organization that doesn't, the, the values aren't aligning. Um, case in point, last summer when all the Black Lives Matter stuff came out, all the corporate uh, the corporate groups that put out, you know, something nice on social media that says, oh, we support this, that, and the other. But then the people working there know that, okay, this is just a PR thing. We're not actually putting funding and initiatives behind it to support it. Gotcha. Uh, and that's that's just one example of, of that. We see that in all in all sorts of places. But I would say that is kind of the biggest trend that has been moving, has been gathering momentum and accelerating. And from what I'm seeing so far this year, I think this year, all that's going to come to a head. Uh, Ooh, I like that. What, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, you mentioned, uh, I mentioned um, on a social post on LinkedIn uh, that this is the year of the employee. So I imagine this all ties into that, um, just employees in general and, and women and their values and things of that nature. So yeah. what, what, why is this the year of the employee, you think? Because I totally yeah. agree with you. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Right. So there's a couple things that are kind of all coming to a head here. One was this realignment of priorities, which in a lot of cases people had in, in you know, since everything shut down in 2020, They've they've now had some time to be like, OK, like what how do I want my work to interface with my life? Um, I will say we've seen some kind of evolved mindsets here about the fact that, uh, you know, especially when you're working from home, that work and life aren't like we can stick them in two different buckets mm -hmm. and pretend that while we're at work, we are not a human being. Um, and so. I think that between that, between the fact that there's there's a lot of movement right now, um, if you are someone who hasn't negotiated a raise in a couple years and you love where you work, this is the year. This is the year to do it. Um, I think that uh, employees maybe have a little bit more leverage now than they have in the past, and in 
civil engineering specifically. Um, and I'm going to talk to my structural engineers because that's that's the group I know that's about. I sit on well, and even now I currently sit on, for example, the Structural Engineering Institute's Board of Governors and a num number of other kind of leadership positions on some of the nonprofit groups around. Great. And I have yet to talk to a uh, a small, medium, or large structural engineering organization who hasn't been really, really busy, maybe even more busy than they want for the last year. There was like a temporary slowdown when the 2020 shutdown hit, but then it's just been going and going and going. Um, and so when people see that, okay, my organization is really busy, they're trying to hire, um, you know, it costs a lot less to retain a current employee and keep them happy not to mention the like loss of knowledge that happens when they leave uh, than it does to onboard a new person, bring them up the speed for training and, and all of those things. Um, and so I see this as a year where, you know, a, a growth year hiring is going on, but also for employees, for staff members that have been someplace for a while, um, they, I think you have some opportunities here, some leverage here. Uh, even if it's just, you know, I want to get some new skills that I haven't had access to. Um, the other mm. thing I want to mention specific to women in engineering. Um, so I recently got done with a, a, a case study project where I interviewed 100 women in STEM in leaders uh, in leadership. And a lot of them, not surprisingly, have a structural engineering background, civil engineering background. Um, and for those women who became entrepreneurs, what was really, really fascinating to me was I would say all but two of them I talked to, uh, when I asked them, okay, why did you start your own thing? A lot of them, it was because um, either organizations were lacking the flexibility in terms of hours worked, when and where they were working, or uh, they felt they had like hit a ceiling. They weren't going to get a growth path and they saw themselves in leadership. That wasn't an opportunity available to them in the particular organization they were in. So almost as a last resort, I mean, they had to think about it for a while, but also, also often as a last resort, they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to go start my own thing. Um, and so that's the other trend I want to hit on here around uh, entrepreneurship specifically I feel like organizations that aren't providing growth paths for their people may be training their competition and they don't know it. Mm. Um, and this work flexibility issue, I think, is also coming to a head because we see I'm seeing a lot of the extremes in the civil engineering industry right now and that we have um, some organizations are like, we're, we're, we're going to go back to the way it was and force our people back into the, the normal in the office. Um, that in a lot of places is causing a mass exodus for, for jobs that are more flexible. Um, and so I think a lot of organizations are, are, are having a, 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 coming, a coming to Jesus moment here uh, <laughs> for, okay, what do our business models look like moving forward? Because from the business side of this, um, if you think that organizations that are able to have everyone working remotely and thus have a lower overhead cost than someone who is renting expensive office space in a city, for example, if you think that they're not going to pass along the administrative cost savings in terms of fees to the clients, you need to rethink 
mm. uh, what you're doing. Um, so anyways, that was a long answer to your question about the trends. But I think the trends in women in engineering mirror the overall trends we are seeing throughout the civil engineering industry. No, I think that's a great answer. And I I'm here on the edge of my seat listening to it all. So I think this is great. So uh, I have in the past talked about the Great Recession. Um, I myself have seen in my own industry, which is in the utility world, a demand for more flexibility and the ability to work from home or have a, a hybrid work environment. And there are companies that are, like you said, absolutely very stringent on, yeah, you're coming back to the office and others that are, um, acquire, it seems like they're acquiring better talent or more talented people if they do have a little bit more of a hybrid or even a work from home type of scenario and, and they can do that. So that's really interesting that you bring that up. So um, one of the things you kind of identify is how engineers can um, determine their strengths and use them for influence. And I'm curious uh, what are your thoughts around that? How can an engineer determine what their strengths are? Maybe if they're just starting and they're not sure what they are, yeah. or if they're well into their career and maybe they just haven't been pointed out to them, like what you're, what, what are you good at? Do you know what you're, you're good at? Yeah. Um, any thoughts around that? Oh, I have lots of thoughts around this one. Um, <laughs> so first, okay. No matter if you're starting out or if you've been in the field a, a while, um, there is some level of reflection here you can start with. Uh, so what do I mean by that? You can go take the different uh, personalities tests like Myers-Briggs. Uh, Clifton Strengths has one that's really uh, tailored around work, and there's a book that walks you through all that. Hmm. Uh, you could do a disk communication assessment, which shows how you communicate with others. Now, why is that an important first step? Well, let me tell you. Okay, so let's say for for an example, you do a Myers-Briggs personality test. Now, the thing about the Myers-Briggs is uh, if you haven't taken it before, your personality usually doesn't change too much from when you were like a kid to now. But I will tell you if you are, for example, an extroverted person and the engineering role you take is behind a computer all day with no contact with anyone else, you are going to be miserable. It doesn't matter how interesting the work is. If you if you find if your personality doesn't match with the role you're in, now that doesn't mean that civil engineering is not for you. That just means you you haven't found your person um, product fit here in terms mm -hmm. of where where you're going to go. Um, so that's the first piece, and that reflection can be done, you know, no matter no matter where you are in your career. Self awareness will only benefit you. Uh, the other thing uh, you can do, which I think Isaac, you already alluded to here, is getting feedback. Um, often we are afraid to ask for feedback or we are being managed by someone who's never been taught how to give feedback at all. Um, and so um, I, I would invite, I'm not going to go into super large detail on this one because I have at least two blogs on my website, uh, engineersrising.com. Uh, one, if you're a manager, there's even like a list of like, here's how you give feedback. Uh, there's a list of questions you can ask if you're an employee to get good feedback. Uh, one example I can give. So my very first performance review. Uh, I walked into the review and it was kind of like I was supposed to self-assess what I was good at. And then when I'm like, OK, I want some feedback. How did I do this year? And the person was like, oh, well, you just you did fine. Keep on doing what you're doing. 
I wish I could tell you in that moment, I'm like, I came back with some really good questions to, to ask, to get actually good feedback, sure. but I didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Um, and it took me and probably till on. after I got my PE to realize, okay, like if someone's telling you you're just doing well, like that makes you feel good, but it doesn't give you any actual useful data points to go with. Or how to progress. Like, right. Yeah, I'm doing great, but what's next? Right. What, what do I need? What do I need to learn? What skill set do I need to learn if I want to get promoted, let's say next year? two years from now, immediately after I pass my PE exam, whatever that is. Um, and so again, I have a whole bunch of those questions. Like you can take yes, them. Yes, go check it out. Go uh, check out on my website. Um, the, the third piece of this, and so you had asked how engineers can determine their strengths and use them for influence. So we just talked about two ways to determine your strengths, gather that data through reflection, get feedback. Um, let's talk about how you can use them for influence. So here's the thing about influence. So influence means that you are uh, essentially bringing people around to your point of view. Um, mm -hmm. You are, I mean, to be redundant, influencing what's going around around you, even though you don't have official authority over that person. So this is when, you know, let's say you're volunteering for something and you get somebody else to go do something. Um, when I say influence, this is not a manager telling someone, you know, that they are managing what to do uh, because there's a power differential there. There's there's an authority there. Uh, but when we talk about influence, OK, so how do you get people who have no reason to do um, to you know see things your way or do what you want them to do? How do you get them to do that? Um, and the thing is, is that everything starts with trust. And if you can't influence people without building that trust first, there's been a ton of research around this. Uh, I think the first like kind of mainstream study that came out was from Google, looking at what makes a high performing team a high performing team. Hmm. Uh, and the number one thing they found was there was a psychological safety, in other words, a trust between team members in that people felt they could, they were listened to, they were heard, they could speak up. Um, and so how do you, how do you translate that into be able, being able to influence someone in your engineering career? It's that you start with building the relationship first, hopefully long before you go and ask that person for something. Um, I can translate this directly into like finding that new job. Um, many of us have been on LinkedIn for a while. And I would say almost daily, I get pegged with somebody who wants to connect with me. And so they connect, you know, great to see you in the network. And then the next thing they do is they say, do you have any jobs? Do you know anyone who can give me a job in this, this or that? Um, and how does that make you feel when someone does that? I'm like, okay, well, clearly this person is only, you know, uh, wants to meet me because they want something. So don't, don't be that engineer, build, build that trust, ask people, like get to know them personally. Help someone uh, that, else out. Yeah. Help <laughs> them out. And that includes your managers, your coworkers, all, all of those people build that trust. And then they will be there when you actually need them to help influence different, different situations around you. I love it. That's great. Um, uh, you are a wealth of knowledge, Stephanie. This is great. <laughs> um, I have a couple other questions and then I want to respect your time. But um, 
how can women help? I mean, what are some tips to help them maximize their earning potential? Is it everything that we just talked about? Um, are there any other things that you see that could benefit them um, reaching a higher potential? Because we always see, it seems like there are always studies that are done that show that women get paid less than mm-hmm. male counterparts. And I'm just curious what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a great question. Um, I mean, and certainly everything we've already talked about, especially around uh, doing the reflection, getting the feedback to know your strengths and finding a role where your strengths are actually aligned mm-hmm. um, is, is a, is a critical thing. I mean, and a, a, a common example here is someone who sees themselves in management who, you know, went and got their PE, but they still feel like they are pigeonholed for whatever reason into an uber technical position when they see themselves in management in the future and they feel like they have some strengths in that that area. Again, that's a mismatch. Um, and so I feel like for women particularly, so first of all, um, going straight to the earning potential thing, the, the pay gap is real. Um, I, I think both men and women in a lot of cases are, are under earning in civil engineering specifically. Um, I've talked to a lot of both. I agree with you. I've never asked for a raise. Um, they, I, I know there are organizations out there who just kind of give everyone a cost of living raise every year. Uh, some places have performance reviews. Some places don't where you like don't even have an opportunity to bring this up. Um, and so here's the thing. Even if all you do is ask for one and they say no. So there was actually a a study done of structural engineers, and this was uh, sponsored by uh, the National Council of Structural Engineers Association, NCSEA. Um, And they found that when it came to negotiation, even if engineers asked for better, more benefits, uh, bigger salary, and they were told no, when they mapped their uh, earning potential long-term, it was higher than the people who hadn't asked. Uh, and we had a couple of speculations about why that was, because when you speak up and ask and you're like, OK, I know my worth and I should get paid for my worth. You position yourself as someone who is not going to get who's not going to put up with being paid the minimum amount you can. Uh, you get positioned as someone who's not going to be doing, for example, a whole bunch of management activities when you're getting paid like an individual contributor. Um, and so. I believe the more money you make, the more people you can help. Um, and so just kind of normalizing this idea of let's go ask for for raises. Um, I will share a quick story here uh, because, you know, some people are like, OK, I need to dive into negotiation strategies, figure out how to do this before I ask for that raise. Uh, and if that is you, uh, we actually just put out a really low cost program to learn how to do that. However, the very first raise I got, I got because I was mad. I, I was working on a project. I was working tons of overtime. Um, I was in a situation where my manager was having some personal issues. Uh, and so like I was in there nights, weekends. Uh, I was basically project managing a job with three years experience uh, and doing a lot more of like above my pay grade. We'll put it that way. 
Um, and so after a couple months of this, I marched into my department head's office. I vented about all that was going on. And at the end, I said, if I'm going to be acting like a project manager, I should get paid like one now. Um, and he's like, oh, we'll see what we can do. So a couple of weeks later, I got called back into his office. And at this point, I had time to regret my unprofessionalism in all this. I'm like, I, I'm like, yeah, okay, am I going to get fired? What's going to happen here? And I go into his office and he's like, I have good news. We're giving you a 20% raise. Wow. That was the single largest raise I've ever gotten in my entire career. But I'm telling you this story, not because that's what you should do is go in and unprofessionally ask. But if I hadn't asked, I would have continued to get underpaid. And I didn't know that. Like, I, I didn't go into this with, oh, here's all the data. Right. I just went in and asked. Um, and so this idea of, like, if you want to maximize your earning potential, man or woman or non-binary, whatever you'd identify as, this idea of asking for what you want, whether it be a raise raising your hand and saying, I want that promotion. I want that high profile, high visibility project. I see myself as a leader in the firm and I'm not going to buy into the BS that tells me, um, you know, I can either be a principal in a civil engineering firm or I can spend time with my kids. Well, let's ditch that all out of here right now. Um, that is not modern leadership. Yeah. Uh, and so raising your hand for what you want and ditching all the stereotypes that are dangerous to engineers, you know, that that we don't talk, that we're antisocial, that we can't take charge of our entire project and, you know, the owner and the architect and someone else, uh, that we have to stay in our lanes. All of those stereotypes are so detrimental um, to everyone, not just women. Uh, and so, again, raising your hand and saying, yes, this is what I want and I'm going to go for it is how anyone again, not just women, maximizes their earning potential. That's great. There are so many stereotypes within the engineering world. And I totally agree with you. And you said earlier, this is a field. I feel like a lot of places they are are underpaid. Um, I know it's tied to, you know, rates that you charge customers and stuff. But when I want to look around the world and everything seems to be going up, <laughs> it seems like civil engineers should be part of that. And the, and the life, I mean, just simply the liability, the risk that an engineer mm -hmm. is, is taking, stamping something, uh, you know, you've put in all that education and hard work to, to earn that. Um, I totally agree with you. So, well, this has been really fun. I have really enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, you're a wealth of knowledge. I would love to, talk more maybe in a future episode we can dive into another topic but um stephanie why don't you dive into what resources might be good for our cea audience uh, including your book that was a great great book yeah absolutely uh so you can come find me on my website so it's engineersrising.com uh, on my website you'll also find connections you can connect to me uh linkedin i'm definitely the most active on can find me there. I'm Stephanie Slocum PE. I'm also on all the other social media platforms, but start at engineersrising.com. Uh, you'll see links to my book, She Engineers. There's a lot of really good free resources, blogs about how do you get feedback, like we were just talking about. Uh, there's a really popular one that's how to find your passion in engineering. Uh, there is a, another article about the time that I failed my FE exam. 
Uh, you got to so touch I'm on very, that. You got to <laughs> touch open on that. about that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you got you got to tell us a little bit of that one because most of the CEA audience is either preparing for the FE, the PE. What what happened there? Okay. Real quick. Um, so I had I had signed up for the FE exam. Um, I had been told that oh this is this easy exam you don't need to study. Uh, I also walked into the exam that day with the flu. Mm. Uh, which also compounded compounded the issue. Um, and so uh, I took it, I think, you know, two months before I graduated. Uh, then I graduated and found out that, okay, I had not passed the FE exam. Um, now, so I, I, in my first job, I actually studied, you know, studied, took it again, uh, did pass it the second time. Uh, but what I would say is first, that was a really good lesson for me to learn because guess what? When it came time for me to take the PE exam, I passed it the first time around. And the reason I passed it the first time around is because I recognized that um, passing these exams really is an exercise in studying. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to, I know some brilliant engineers who took two, three, four times to pass the PE exam. Um, I'm actually don't know very many other people who uh, managed the distinct honors I did of failing the FE exam. Um, but I did know, too, Stephanie. So throw me in there. Um, and it's an exercise in studying, not and and sure, yes, it's one metric of making sure you have some sort of minimum level um, of something. Uh, but I also, I, we could have an entire conversation about, you can probably gather my opinion on tests in general, yeah. uh, that, that although, you know, I'm glad I want there to be rigorous standards for people who are practicing in this industry, because our job is to protect the health, welfare, and safety of the public. Yes. Like if we don't do our jobs well, we kill people. Um, and so that, that is a huge responsibility. Uh, but does a test adequately, you know, measure that? Well, I think a whole lot of experts have discussions about that, that That's I'm not involved in. That's a very good question. But again, again, I think passing any of these tests is a matter of um, buckling down, setting your study schedule. I'm sure you talk about this all the time, about actually yes. studying. Um, I re hey, especially we recently, I haven't run into anyone who has passed it the first time with absolutely no studying whatsoever. That is true. And now they're all CBT. So, you know, they're all computer based. We do have courses on those. So go check them out. <laughs> anyway, well, Stephanie, this has been super fun. Go check out our resources. I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. And maybe we'll have you come back on and talk about testing in, in a future episode. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this this is this has been fun. I really appreciate you having me and uh, good luck to all the listeners out there who are currently studying preparing to take uh, their exams. It's hard, but it is worth it. Yes, it is. Thanks, Stephanie. See ya. Yeah.